Hello, this is Taylor Petrie, editor of Dialogue. I am really excited for episode eight of Dialogue Heritage, a podcast series that explores the history of Dialogue, a Journal of Mormon Thought, through the lens of LDS history, American history, and academic history. Each episode, we discuss a five-year period of the journal's history from the founding in 1966 until today. This week, we're discussing the year 2000 to 2004. Now, in this time period, which we've introduced a little bit in the last issue, Neil and Rebecca Chandler are the editors. They live in Shaker Heights, Ohio. Uh, Neil is an English professor and Rebecca is an English teacher. Neil got a Fulbright during this time period and went away for a while. And uh, the journal was guest edited by a couple of people during this time period as well. Keith Norman, also in Ohio, is associate editor. Armand Moss is the chairman of the board and really helps to shape it. Now, Many of you may know that Armand passed away recently, and we just wanted to acknowledge his contributions to dialogue. One of them included the forming of the Board of Trustees during this time period that helps to stabilize the financial future of the journal. Speaking of which, we rely on donations now and definitely need your support. So we're at the beginning of a capital campaign and are looking for large donations and planned giving. Get in touch with me or any members of the Board of Trustees today for more information about this. Okay, that's a side note. Now, in 2004, the Chandler's era ends and Carrie Maloney becomes the editor for one issue, but she technically resigned the night before her term began. The journal then moves back to Utah under Levi Peterson, who was a associate editor at first and then becomes the editor of the journal. What's going on in the world in general in this time period from 2000 to 2004? Well, a couple of things going on for the church is Proposition 22 in California, an effort to uh, prohibit same-sex marriage in that state. The church was heavily involved and was a continuation of the work that they had done in Hawaii, Alaska, and other places as well. It's also notable that the founder, one of the co-founders of the journal, Gene England, dies, and there is a memorial issue of dialogue and a memorial held in the Provo Tabernacle during this time period. The broader national and international scale, of course, we've got 9-11, uh, we have um, uh, a, you know, a sort of Republican uh, uh, resurgence again during this time period with the popularity of uh, George Bush. There are new Mormon films coming out like God's Army and the sort of revival of Mormon filmmaking or the beginning of a Mormon filmmaking tradition during this time period. But in general, in dialogue, issues are falling behind again. I had to do a double take when the winter 2000 issue has a letter to the editor that includes a reference to 9-11, which happened in the fall of 2001, which means that winter 2000 issue was nearly a year behind at least. The combined spring-summer 2001 issue, which was full of reprints, and the fall-winter 2001 issue was further evidence of how behind they'd gotten. There's a letter to the editor in the summer of 2000 that I do want to acknowledge, however, because it does point out some of the feeling that many members, uh, many uh, subscribers had. There is only one reason I am renewing my subscription to Dialogue. It is because I have every issue that was ever published since the first issue. If it was not for that, I would not continue to subscribe to Dialogue because of the liberal leanings of the articles that you now publish. Dialogue started out years ago on the liberal side, being critical of the church and its leaders, but then the articles moved more to the center. 
Now you're back at it out of left field again. It's fascinating to hear that this uh, uh, this sort of history that it starts out liberal and then becomes less liberal and then has now become liberal again. Yeah, you know, I'm not totally sure that that holds up in my rec- in my reading of the journal necessarily, but that was often how some people perceived it. Can, the letter continues, I suppose there are those unfaithful members who have a need to bring others down with themselves. As I said, if I did not have a complete collection, my subscription would be history. Please enter my subscription for renewal. <laughs> So there's another letter during this time period from the spring 2002 issue. Boring. I feel sad that dialogue has lost its appeal. I'm a good barometer and believe I'm reflecting a a systemic problem, not provocative, not thoughtful, not courageous. I will review the magazine at the library, and if it improves the old ability, I will renew. So this one says that it's not provocative enough, that it's not liberal enough, that it's not courageous enough during this time period. So again, you can see that people are reading this in some ways uh, from their own perspectives of maybe where they're at uh, themselves. Now, I should note that I did not find these issues to be boring at all. In fact, quite the opposite. I wasn't really sure what to expect, but this was about the time that I started reading dialogue myself as a young graduate student. And so it was sometimes fun to go back and see articles that initially had jumped out to me during my early uh, or early period encountering the journal. There's another interesting letter that's worth pointing out at this stage that I just want to uh, note that's a fascinating one. Douglas Tobler, a professor of German at Brigham Young University, writes, Since returning from our recent mission to Poland, I've found it increasingly difficult to feel much respect for writers, historians, self-styled intellectuals, critics, and the journals they publish in, who arrogate themselves the right to comment on the church, its leaders, members, doctrines, history, etc., from a purely naturalistic viewpoint, or from the only slightly veiled perspective of faithlessness, ignorance, or lack of real understanding of the doctrines and practices of the church. This includes those who have been excommunicated, those who are lapsed, and those who whose apparent greatest desire is to gain the applause and honor of otherworldly intellectuals and secular fame. There's a familiar issue of a kind of, is the journal too liberal? Is it too conservative? This sort of uh, you know back and forth that people have. And sometimes it's a Rorschach test for seeing where the member themselves is as they're reading the, the journal. And it also shows the sort of familiar issues of insider-outsider histories and scholarship. This was a long debate and continues to be in some circles in religious studies of whether or not insiders or outsiders to the tradition were better equipped to write about it. Obviously, Tobler himself is on the far extreme of the insiders only are the only people who can fully understand it. And even those insiders need to be qualified in a number of different ways. Now, the Tobler letter sets off a huge backlash. Bob Reese replies to Tobler in the fall of 2004 issue. There are several more in the winter of 2004 from Gary Bergera, Richard Bushman, Sally Gordon, Jana Reese, Val Avery, Phil Barlow, Ralph Grunke, Doug Ward, and the journal notes that they did not print many, many more responses to this particular letter. Again, a fascinating time when back and forth in the pages of the journal was often the way that Latter-day Saint intellectuals shared and debated ideas. Now, we noted already that Eugene England dies during this time period, August 17th, 2001. It's announced in the fall 2000 issue. Again, a strange way in which just how behind they had gotten again. And then the spring 2002 issue 
is Remembering Eugene England, guest editor Douglas Thayer, and of course, uh, Gene England's widow, Charlotte. Now, during this time period, uh, we have a number of other uh, important issues that come about. There's a commemorative issue of the 35 years of dialogue, guest edited by Gary Bergera. And the Chandlers write an opening letter to this issue that I think is worth kind of quoting. Again, to sort of check in, Dialogue loves celebrating these uh, multi-year anniversaries, and the 35th anniversary is, is no exception. The tumult and euphoria of the early letters is palpable, contagious. This is referring back to the early issues of the journal. Then, however, the long work of an independent journal began. The staffing and organizing and restaffing and reorganizing the searching and soliciting and coaxing and cajoling of submissions, and reading and reading and reading and winnowing and mailing and out and calling in, the difficult, inexorable weighing, the trying to get to yes, having to say no, the dithering debating over maybe, the artwork and design, the editing and proofing, and the galleys and proofing, the blue lines and proofing, the printing and packing and mailing and paying of printers and postage and pipers, and sometimes, sometimes a heavy price. And all of this, of course, without neglecting subscribers, nor resubscribers, nor donors, especially donors with deadlines to keep in standards and promises and databases. The list is very incomplete, but litany enough already to employ and explain the stout army of souls listed as fully as we are able on the inside cover, who during the 35 years have lent passion, intelligence, agility, and homely doggedness to this good work. Dialogue endures as a tribute first to its tentative reader subscribers, then to the thinkers and writers and visual artists who submit and submit and review, but also to generous friends and not least of all to Dialogue's line workers whose courage and spit and wire and forfeit of sleep have kept the enterprise churning. I love that. It is hard work sometimes putting together this journal, and it just shows, again, the years and years at this time, you know, we're over 50 plus years, 55 years, I think this year uh, of the journal. It's quite remarkable how many people have generously sacrificed and donated and and subscribed and, and so on. And of course, read and contributed to make this journal happen. So in this 35 year anniversary, there are a number of greatest hits of dialogue, some of which we have looked at and discussed here, including Hugh Nibley's Bird Island. Uh, of course, Anonymous, anonymous Solus, the first, as far as we could tell, the first sort of first-person account from a gay member of the church. Uh, we have uh, in this issue also Berger on the temple ceremony, uh, uh, Lester Bush's 1973 article on race in the priesthood, Nadine Hansen and Margaret Wheatley on women in the priesthood, Dwayne Jeffrey on evolution controversies, and others that we skipped over in previous issues, but show up in this commemorative issue. George Smith's Nauvoo Roots of Mormon Polygamy, Richard Van Wagener's The Making of a Mormon Myth, the 1844 Transfiguration of Brigham Young, a classic uh, article, and uh, uh, many, many others. So, so this commemorative issue is, again, just interesting to look back and see at, at the 35-year mark, what were the articles that were really valued during that era? I'll also note that during this time period is when we're seeing more of Devery Anderson's history of dialogue that was published. Uh, and it, again, runs up through the early 1990s, so it doesn't cover the era that we're into now. But again, if you just want some of the really great kind of background stories of a lot of what's going on in the journal, Anderson's uh, articles are really essential. 
One of the other major topics that's going on during this time period is, of course, scripture. And there are a number of really important articles. As I said, I was studying scripture in graduate school during this time period and found myself reading these articles and getting involved in the kind of scholarship and the back and forth that was going on. It was a really quite lively time of debate coming on uh, after the 1990s as well. Uh, you know, huge debates between so-called apologists and critics. Uh, this was how the debates were often framed. I think it's much more nuanced than that, of course. But there are a number of important articles that come out during this time period. I'll just call attention to a few. Kevin Barney's Reflections on the Documentary Hypothesis, one of the first articles to really take seriously the issue of the composite nature of the Torah, the first five books of the of the Hebrew Bible, of the Old Testament, and uh, how Barney sort of attempts to kind of look at this from an LDS lens. Others have uh, continued uh, to, to look at it from uh, uh, from various perspectives, and the debate and, and, and arguments have advanced since Barney's article, but it's really a foundational and classic article on that question. Douglas Salmon's Parallelomania and the Study of LDS Scripture, Confirmation, Coincidence, or Collective Unconscience. A fascinating article on the phenomenon of parallelomania, the primary method that those who were arguing for a 19th century and an ancient origin of the Book of Mormon was about finding parallels in the comparison cultures. And uh, Salmon sort of looks at the uh, the complicated methodologies that are being used there and uh, whether or not there are real parallels or they are simply perceived by the uh, scholars themselves. Of course, we have a number of important articles also on the Book of Abraham, Joseph Smith Papyri, Robert Rittner, the uh, uh, Egypt famous Egyptologist uh, who actually had trained John Gee, the LDS apologist, uh, writes an important article, The Breathing Permit of Hor. Rittner has continued to engage uh, in written and, uh, and other kinds of forms uh, with LDS claims about the Book of Abraham, of course, a skeptic of the traditional story. And we have another important article, Robert Patterson's Hebraicisms, Chiasmus, and other internal evidences for ancient authorship in green eggs and ham. <laughs> kind of challenge to the argument that Hebraicisms and chiasmus are evidence of the antiquity of the Book of Mormon. So again, we see oftentimes some skeptical arguments uh, about Book of Mormon historicity showing up in the pages of dialogue during this time period, uh, primarily because many of those who were arguing in favor of the historicity of these texts were publishing in other venues. The winter 2003 issue also has a number of important articles on the Book of Mormon, including uh, DNA questions, simply implausible DNA and Mesoamerican setting for the Book of Mormon. And of course, uh, another famous article, Scrying for the Lord, Magic Mysticism and the Origins of the Book of Mormon. We also have a uh, article by Lawrence Foster, The Psychology of Prophetic Charisma, New Approaches to Understanding Joseph Smith and the Development of the Chari of Charismatic Leadership. I'll note that in 2020, Foster has another article coming out on the psychology of Joseph Smith uh, as he has continued to come back to this important question. Sexuality is never far from the pages of dialogue, and homosexuality in particular continues to uh, become a more central question. We have an important article by D. Michael Quinn, Prelude to the National Defense of Marriage Campaign, Civil Discrimination Against Feared or Despised Minorities. 
And then a response from Armand Moss, a reply to Quinn is his uh, is his uh, response that challenges uh, uh, Quinn's claim that homophobia is the primary thing that is driving uh, LDS opposition to same-sex marriage. So we're seeing, again, the time that the church is getting involved in anti-same-sex marriage d- debates in the 1990s and uh, the year 2000 with Prop 8. We start to see some scholarship reflecting on, on these questions. And so we see Quinn and Moss sort of in these early debates and debates that I become very familiar with over time uh, because they continue to occupy my own questions around the 2000s and 2010s. Some want to call attention to that. We have essays by Hugo Olias and Bob Reese on uh, on homosexuality also during this time period. And of course, letters to the editor in the fall, winter 2001 that respond to Quinn citing Adam and Eve. Others support uh, Armand Moss's reply, which suggested that homophobia is not necessarily the reason that church leaders oppose same-sex marriage. So again, we're seeing the pages of dialogue as the place where people are arguing these things out. Women's issues also are very important during this period. We see some, uh, a little bit less, I would say, kind of explicitly feminist scholarship during uh, during this time period, though not entirely absent. And uh, so I'll point out a couple of important articles. One is by current board member, Rebecca DeSchweinitz, um, her first, as far as I can tell, Preaching the Gospel of Church and Sex, Mormon Women's Fiction in the Young Women's Journal, 1889 to 1910, a classic historical study of how uh, young women's formation, sexual formation was uh, happening during this uh, during that time period. We have a fall 2003 issue, which is really focused exclusively, almost exclusively on women's issues and comes in at a whopping nearly 300 pages, a large uh, issue uh, uh, on this topic and a couple of the titles of articles from this issue that I want to highlight women in the priesthood and women in missions and sexuality and women's history are the main sort of sub themes. So we get articles like kingdom of priests, priesthood, temple, and women in the old Testament and in the restoration. We have uh, present at the beginning, one woman's journey, not invited, but welcome the history and impact of the church policy on sister missionaries, ordaining women and the transformation from sect to denomination, uh, dear brethren claiming a voice in the church, Mormon women in the history of sexuary in the second wave feminism, bodies, babies, and birth control. And again, many of these are from uh, uh, important scholars and authors who are writing on uh, on these really interesting issues. So that fall 2003 issue, for those of you who are interested in this question, I highly, highly recommend. Oh, we've also got a fall 2004 issue uh, uh, article that I want to call attention to. Sexual Morality Revisited is uh, by Wayne Scow, who has a four-part discussion of interesting aspects of sexuality and morality and that that he sort of wants to take a stab at. He said he wants to look at the nature of the sexual moral codes, sexual nature, several controversial issues, including the morality of homosexuality, the morality of erotic art and literature, and of course, the impact of religious moral restraint on individual sexuality. Again, we're seeing some people who are really trying to look at some tough issues around sexual morality here uh, that I wanted to just call attention to. Now, as we mentioned, 9-11 had happened and the United States falls into not one, but two wars, uh, one in Afghanistan and one in Iraq. And so we see issues of war and peace really taking center stage in a number of the uh, uh, issues that are coming out during this time period. 
One, of course, is the spring 2003 issue, which is full of articles on war, the Middle East, uh, and, and so on. And uh, the spring 2004 issue, which is particularly full of these uh, uh, issues, uh, which has important articles by Richard Sherlock, The Case for Pacifism, and Patrick Mason, currently one of the chairs of Mormon Studies at Utah State University, uh, The Possibility of Mormon Peacebuilding. Mason has been a particularly vocal advocate for pacifism studies in the in uh, the LDS Church, and uh, so I want to really call attention to uh, those articles again to sort of see the beginnings of the trajectories of his own uh, thinking around these issues uh, and so on. So uh, Mason's article in particular is I think worth worth taking a look at. There are a couple of other issues that I think are worth talking about. Uh, one is the fall winter two thousand one joint uh, a combined issue, which was the uh, a European Conference on Mormon Studies, guest edited by Douglas Davies, an important sociologist who wrote a, a couple of really important books in the early 2000s on, uh, on LDS thought. Uh, and there are a number of articles then in this issue on global perspectives. It's from a European, uh, it's a European Studies Conference and, and so on. And Davies writes an important kind of foundational article for the internationalization of LDS studies, Mormon studies in a European setting. We also have uh, throughout these uh, a number of these issues during the early 2000s, previews of articles or articles written by Greg Prince, who's doing a lot of the early publication work on David O. McKay in, this, uh, in these issues. His biography, which comes out just after this time period, is a fascinating study of David O. McKay, won a lot of awards, a really uh, uh, important piece of scholarship. And uh, his work uh, uh, is in particularly important because it draws on a number of primary source documents that he received in a long story through the secretary of David O. McKay, Claire Middlemas. They sort of find their way into the hands of Greg Prince, and they are a treasure trove of really important insights into the internal workings of the LDS Church, really probably the most important uh, historical set of documents that we have from either before the, uh, or after uh, uh, David O. McKay that we have access to really these internal inside debates and, and struggles of what's going on uh, among the highest leadership of the church. So I highly recommend uh, these early articles and of course the biography itself. In winter 2002, we have a, an issue dedicated to evolution. We mentioned that in the 35th anniversary in 2001, Dwayne Jeffrey's article on the history of LDS controversies over, uh, over evolution is uh, reprinted. It's a classic study of this particular issue. In, in many ways, it is sort of the comparison to uh, 1973 Lester Bush article on race and the priesthood. Jeffrey's article really is kind of the foundational article for evolution issues and, and telling that story. And he is interviewed by Keith Norman, the associate editor uh, of Dialogue during the time period, on the history of evolution at BYU, the teaching of evolution at BYU. We have another uh, set of uh, important articles on this topic, Michael Ash, The Mormon Myth of Evil Evolution, Bailey's Mormonism and the New, Cre and New Creationism, and Devin Smith, H Human Genome Project, Our Modern Biology and Mormonism. So a number of important uh, uh, topics during this time period that I definitely want to commend. This was not a set of boring issues at all. In fact, they were quite important. A number of really important articles come out during this time period on a wide variety of issues. And again, we're seeing the diversity of topics, especially that is uh, coming up, as well as continuity with kind of perennial questions that are arising. 
This show is part of the Dialogue Podcast Network, a collective of independent, interesting podcasts who promote thoughtful, respectful, and engaging inquiry and discussions of all aspects of the LDS tradition, thought, and arts and culture. You can listen to this podcast and all the Dialogue Podcast Network shows on a new podcast app called Lyceum, which makes it easy to discover and listen to great educational audio. In Lyceum, you can also support the Dialogue Podcast Network by becoming a member for just $5 a month. Members get exclusive episodes and the chance to discuss and engage this show with me and other listeners. So go to the app, store, or Google Play, download Lyceum, and become a member of the Dialogue Podcast Network today. That's Lyceum, L-Y-C-E-U-M. Thanks. See you next time.